I don't think we should try and twist scripture to be relevant to us. I think we should mould our own lives become relevant to scripture. Hello and welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. We live in a world that is becoming increasingly unreasonable, where telling the truth doesn't mean you'll be believed, where the truth of God's word is not always going to be popular. But the only real antidote to doubt is truth and it's something we often forget. Let's join Dr. Corbett tonight for How Soon We Forget. We, we want to have a look at the text, and I've said to you before, there's three things I think every preacher should do when they open up the Word of God. They want to help you to hear what it says, to understand what it means, and then to understand how it affects me, how does it apply. And one of the problems is if we ignore the first two and we really just try to do the last one of those, but the text doesn't really lend itself to that, we end up abusing the text. We end up making the text say something it doesn't actually say. And that's, that's where I don't, want, I don't want us to have this idea that the Bible is entirely relevant for our lives. Because quite frankly, there are some parts that aren't exactly relevant for our lives. But now can I flip that? Because I don't want you to tweet that or Instagram that and go, oh, the pastor doesn't think the Bible's relevant. Because I do. But I want you to hear this. I don't think we should try and twist Scripture to be relevant to us. I think we should mould our own lives, become relevant to Scripture. That our lives are shaped and informed by Scripture, not the other way around. And if you do that, if you can take scripture and learn how we should approach it and how we should treat it as sacred and not trifle with it. When you hear something that purports to be scripture and it's not, it's bang, that's obvious. That's obviously not what God's word says. Let me give you an example of that. Last night I watched a biblical epic movie called Noah. It came out last year starring... Russell Crowe. And I'm watching this movie. I'm, it was a sci-fi movie, as I discovered. I thought it was a biblical epic. It turns out to be a sci-fi movie. It bore very little relevance to the text. But not only that, as someone, one critic said, and, I, and I'm not trying to be critical in the sense of always finding the negative, but, but someone said this actually dis completely distorts who the God of the Bible is. In this movie, God is presented as having made this beautiful, perfect creation. And this is how the movie starts off. And I thought the first two minutes of it, I thought, oh, cool, we're going to get a really accurate biblical portrayal. And then it kind of just went kind of left of field dramatically. Because it, it, it presents God as creating this perfect paradise and then placing man into that paradise to look after the perfect creation he had created. And when man sinned, Man began to destroy the creation. It wasn't that man sinned and then he was cut off from fellowship with God. It wasn't that man sinned, now he was going to have this sin virus in him that caused him to hate and murder and lie and steal and hurt other people. That wasn't the issue. The issue was that the trees and the birds and the forests and the waterways were now being polluted and harmed. 
I'm thinking, man, this is, this is an utter distortion of who God is and what God is about. Can I tell you that the Bible doesn't say that God created us last of all so that we could look after his creation because the creation, trees, forests, birds, waterways, was his main deal? That wasn't his main deal. All of that was created for us to enjoy. Yes, to look after. But we weren't put here to look after it as if it was the main game. And the reason I, I, I can look at that, and most of you who would have seen that movie know it, you could spot that, you could see that straight away. But then toward the end of the movie, it got really, really disturbing. And if, you've, if you're biblically informed, you could pick it straight away. You could see, because the, the guy, Noah, thinks he's hearing God say he's got to kill everybody, like even his own family. No one is to survive. Because mankind is the virus on planet Earth. And if we can eradicate mankind... God's intention of having a perfect paradise on earth will be restored. Can I tell you, there are people who think like that today, that human beings are the problem. Human beings are the virus. Anyway, and, and it, Noah apparently in this movie asks God, what should I do? And he's told he has to kill two young baby girls. To please God. Now what is that? If you didn't know anything about God, what would that tell you about God? God is a murdering baby killer. Can I tell you, God is nothing of the kind. Nothing of the kind. And so if you're biblically informed, you can watch a movie like that and go, no, no, that's not quite right. There's some, there were some things that I thought, gee, they've done that well. I thought the building of the ark, the... The summoning of the animals, the, the bursting open of the deep, it had a lot of potential. I thought Adam and Eve, if you remember it showed Adam and Eve, they didn't wear clothes because they were clothed in a radiant glory, a radiant light glory. They were created to bear the image of God and God, is, the creator, was described as someone who was in inapproachable light. And Adam and Eve enjoyed in a, this warmth glow, this glory glow that the moment they ate of that forbidden fruit, they lost it. And I thought, that's actually quite biblical. Because in Ezekiel, he talks about Adam enjoying a glory before he sinned. So I thought that was done well. So it's not all bad. That's what you can do when you become familiar with God's word. That's why we generally, Sunday by Sunday, we are trying to help you to understand God's word. And not trying to pick the eyes out of God's word so that you then think that God's word is merely about something that's immediately relevant to your life. I think our lives need to conform with God's word. So that's, that's where I want to go. Before we look at verse 20 of Jeremiah I want you to see these women have come back and said in response to Jeremiah, you're wrong. They've said, Jeremiah, uh, we, we had everything going well for us when we were sacrificing to Asherah. Now, here's the first thing I want you to notice. Sometimes when people criticize you, when people say things, you, you shouldn't respond. There's just no point to responding. 
There's two confusing, well, they seem confusing, Proverbs. It's about Proverbs 11. It says this, Do not answer a fool according to his folly, lest you become foolish like him. And you know what the next verse says? Make sure you answer a fool according to his folly, lest you become foolish like him. In other words, there's a time when you give an answer and there's other times when you shouldn't. You've just got to pick which time it is. And in this instance, Jeremiah is going to respond to these women. And in one, I, I can completely understand it. If, if, I was hap- if, I, if, if I happened to be there in a time machine, I come back and, and he, he, he turns across to me, Andrew, should I respond to these women? I go, there's no point. There's just no point. Don't say anything. There's no point responding. That might have been how I could have counseled Jeremiah. But he does respond and he responds and we have that response here. And I'm going to repeat that because I know people did not hear what I just said. We now have the response here. In other words, he's responding for whose sake? For ours. And there are times when Jesus did that as well. Remember when he stood out the front of the tomb of Lazarus? And he says, Father, it's the shortest prayer of Jesus actually. Father, I know that you always hear me. But I thought something like this. I thought I would come and stand in front of this tomb and look like I'm praying. Because there are people watching me right now. Thank you. (laughs) It kind of reminds me of the guy on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. Who came down to the last question. He had one question, one lifeline left. And that was phone a friend. I don't know if you saw this. It was on, in, on British TV. And it was the last question. If he got this question right, he would win a million dollars. And the question was asked, the three options or the four options were given. And he says, can I phone a friend? And so he phones his dad. And he phones his dad and there's his dad on live British TV. And they read out the options and his dad says, I don't know, son. And his son said, I know, dad. I know the answer. I just wanted you to be the first one to hear me answer it correctly. (laughs) The arrogance. And there are times when you've got to give an answer, not for the sake of the person who's asked the question, but for the sake of the people who are listening to how you're going to answer. So that could be with your children watching. That could be with your friends looking on. That could be on Facebook where you've been attacked on Facebook and now you've got a whole bunch of people who haven't liked the post. They haven't commented on the post, but they're watching and they're going to see how you now respond. Before you assume someone is angry and hostile and just wants to attack How about this for an insight? Maybe they're not just angry and hostile and want to attack. Maybe they're broken. Maybe they're deeply hurting. And maybe they won't listen to what you have to say. But maybe there's someone else who's reading on and they're reading that person's comments and they go, that's how I feel. And maybe your response is as much to them as it is to your attacker. Just a thought. You might want to think that through, not necessarily just in the confines of Facebook either. All right, so there's a time 
to respond to our critics because our real audience is watching and they are listening. So we're now in verse 20, chapter 44, verse 20. Then Jeremiah said to all the people, men and women, all the people who had given him this answer. So what, again, I just I want to pause here because I want you to hear what Jeremiah is doing. The women have said something. It's completely stupid. It's really dumb. It's false and it's silly. And with all of the ways Jeremiah could have responded, he chose not to. He chose to respond in a way that was reasonable. And here's what we are going to discover. And again, I debated whether I should put a clip from the Q&A program two or three weeks ago up where that uh, lady, someone help me out, what was that? What was her name? Katie Faust, who was on Q&A and Senator Dina Tarley was also on the panel. Now, I didn't see it. I, 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 I'm under doctor's orders because of blood pressure issues <laughs> not to watch Q&A. <laughs> But she gave quite a reasonable case for why marriage is between a man and a woman and why children need a mum and a dad. And before you think, well, you know, that's not necessarily the case, I want you to think about this. If same-sex marriage went ahead, a same-sex couple is actually granted more rights over a child than that child's parents. And before you go, oh, that's not... This is not... I wonder if this could happen. This is what is happening in places where this happens. God forbid that a couple should get a divorce. Seriously, God forbid. But if it does happen and the mother takes the child and remarries, who is the father of that child? The biological father. Thank you. And the biological father has still got parental rights over that child because he's the biological father. In a same-sex couple situation what comes with the package is all biological parental rights are extinguished and the same-sex parenting couple take over parental rights and you have this absurd situation now Uh, I forget which country it is but just I heard over the weekend there there are now four people because it was I think two same-sex Uh, two same-sex couples that claim the same parenting rights over one child. And you get to this absurd situation and they're fighting over a child. And this Katie Forst, who was on Q&A, was saying, look, I was raised by two lesbians. I I did not do well. And I know others who didn't either. And children need a mum and a dad. They need that. Senator Di Natale's response, so I'm led to believe, was complete and utter dismissal of what she had to say with a wave of the hand and he said, that's hate speech and I'm not going to listen to hate speech. Now that's not reasonable. And here's the problem. Jeremiah is about to give a reasoned response to these women. And I think we should be too. And I'll make that case in a moment. But this is the challenge we're going to have. We are living in a world that is increasingly becoming unreasonable. In other words, they're not going to listen to reason. They're not going to listen to common sense. 
they're going to buy into little sound bites and cliches and little things that sloganism and what I call Trojan horse words. These are words that are really the wrapping and they sound lovely, but they bear no resemblance to what they actually mean when they use those words, like the word love or even the word equality. We as Christians are called by God to give answers with reasons. And here's one verse out of the New Testament that just straight up says it. This is what it says. This is 1 Peter chapter 3.15. But in your hearts honour Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defence to anyone who asks you for a reason, keyword, for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Uh, that's, a, that's a powerful response. And I, and I think Jeremiah is about to do that, that, the essence of what we're looking at here in this New Testament verse. Jeremiah is about to do it. Can I give you some, I want to give you just, I think, four tips on how to be reasonable, about being reasonable. Here's the first one. Truth is truth. Now, people are going to say, well, that's true for you, but it's not true for me. Well, that's, this, that's unreasonable. Truth is truth. Truth is not privatized. It's not privately true for you and not true for anyone else. Truth is truth. Clement of Alexandria said in the second century, all truth is God's truth wherever it may be found. Two plus two equals four because that's a part of the truth of how this world works. Here's the second one. Facts can be verified. So if someone, says, someone makes a claim that as a fact, they should be able to verify it. They should be able to give you the, the proof of that fact. And so should you too, by the way, if you make a claim, you should be able to give your evidence. Facts can be verified. It's, it's a great little way to get out of a heated debate too. When you're in a debate with someone and they make a claim, simply ask Ask them to verify that. Where did you get that from? Number three, an assertion is not an argument. Now, if you assert something, you just say it. I heard an atheist say this in a debate with, it was actually John Lennox. He said this, you're a Christian, and, and I'm an atheist. And all, all I'm saying is that, that, that I don't believe in Zeus, Thor, and all these mythical pagan gods. There's, there's thousands of them. I don't believe in any of them. And all I'm asking you to do is to use the same reason that I don't believe in those, but just add one more god to the list. It's just one more god. That's all I'm asking you to do. Now, that's an assertion. What's the argument for letting go of the God of the Bible in that statement? There is none. Why should... It's actually quite a silly statement. Because all it's saying is this. I don't believe in any gods. You believe in one. What's the Christian's response to that? Yes, and your point is? That's the response. Yes. That's why I'm called a believer in God. That's why I'm called a theist, one who believes in God. 
and you don't believe in God, that's why you're called an atheist. So, so when we are hearing people make these claims, just, just ask them, yes, and what's your point? What's your point? And that's how you flush out whether something is just asserted, they just said it, they just made it up and said it, or whether they're actually giving a reasoned argument. And here's the last one. Ridicule is not reason. So you ever heard something like this? Oh, you're just being stupid. Yeah, right. But what's your point? Let's assume that I am being stupid. Let's put that aside. I'm not going to argue that one. What's your counter-argument to my position? Well, my counter-argument is you're an idiot. Well, ridicule is not a reason. And yet we hear that kind of stuff all the time. And so if you're in a debate with someone and they say something like, oh, you Christians, you're all just stupid. Well, why? (laughs) Why do you say that? What's your reason? So let's flip that back onto us. When you're in a debate with someone, don't go, oh, of course you'd think that. You're a sinner. That's that's, That's not reasonable. Don't do that. Verse 21. Jeremiah continues, as for the offerings that you offered in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem, you and your fathers, your kings and your officials and the people of the land, did not the Lord remember them? Did it not come into his mind? So Jeremiah is saying, God saw what you were doing. He knows what you were doing. Hear what he's saying as we go on. He's pointing them back to history. Remember, you just said that when you did those things, everything went well. Now, let's actually remember when you were doing those things. Remember, things were not going well. (laughs) It wasn't the way you described. And this is the point. History often verifies God's word and what it says about us as human beings. What does it say about us? It says that we, have, we are born with a bias to rebel. We are born with a bias to defy God. We are born with a bias to refuse to worship him. That's what we're born with. And it takes a miracle for that defiance to come out of you. It takes a miracle. And history bears witness that human beings are fundamentally defiant. And they rebel against God. Verse 22. The Lord could no longer bear your evil deeds and the abominations that you committed. Now that's not just making raisin cakes. And they all know what's going on here. Human sacrifice was happening. Therefore your land has become a desolation and a waste and a curse without inhabitant as it is this day. So when you were doing these things, it led to this. Remember, our city, it's rubble. It's in ruins. So history, he just simply pointed to history. Verse 23, it is because you made offerings and because you sinned against the Lord and did not obey the voice of the Lord or walk in his law and in his statutes and in his testimonies, that this disaster has happened to you as it is this day. Wow. 
So Jeremiah's been quite reasonable. He's actually gone, hang on a minute, that's not quite accurate, is it? Remember, we're here and Jerusalem's in rubble. Um, So I don't know where you're getting this good times and rock and roll from. This is not anything like that. You did this and everything went bad for us. So he's been quite reasonable. So what's the response going to be from these women? Ah, you're right, Jeremiah. Of course. What were we thinking? No. Just because you're reasonable doesn't mean that people are going to listen. Or just because you're reasonable and you tell the truth, that people are going to believe you. You ready for it? I've discovered, I have discovered through experience that sometimes you can be reasonable, state the truth, and people react and they reject. And then it might be some years later that God gets a hold of their life because from that time they've been fighting him. Again, one of the, one of the most profound examples of that was when I was 16... I came to Christ at the age of 15. When I was 16, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. That, that experience with the Holy Spirit radically transformed my life. And I felt a deep burden for the eternal destiny of people. It was around about that time that I knew God had called me to be a pastor. And I wanted to tell everyone, and I had no opportunity in my church that I grew up in in Geelong. It was a reasonably big church and I no opportunity at all to do anything but I wanted to tell people about Jesus so I figured there were probably more people outside of the church than there were in the church so after church on a Sunday Sunday night I would go out on the streets and hand out tracks and talk to as many people as I could and I did that for several years probably about four years three four years and I would go up to gangs groups of young men as there were lots of them at that time on the streets of Geelong and and I would share and they would ridicule that was pretty much the pattern and probably about seven years after that about seven years after that I had a young guy come over to me and he came over to me he said you probably don't remember me but I was one of those I was one of those kids on the street of Geelong and I heard you Sunday nights and I was I was giving you heaps so I want you to know I'm now a Christian. The truth of God's word is not always going to be popular. It's not always going to be popular. I've discovered that if, if we sort of backed off the word of God and just told people what they wanted to hear and how they could pepper you know, God talk in their life and maybe take some Bible verses and sprinkle it like salt over the, the diet of whatever we dish up, we, we'd, probably, we'd probably draw a bit of a crowd but man, one day I'm going to have to stand before God on Judgment Day and I would not want to be in my shoes if that's how I had treated you. So it's, it's my hope that we can be faithful to God's word. I don't want to beat people up. I don't want you to come in here and go, well, another Sunday we're going to get smashed up again. Okay, pastor, give it your best. I don't want to do that. I want us to be built up and encouraged and strengthened. But I do want us to face the truth because I'm convinced the, the word of God is the only thing. And I mean that the word of God is the only thing that has the power to take God's grace and put it into our soul so that we can live 
appropriately. And the Bible actually says that. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. In other words, the gospel came to the Jews first and then it's everyone else's. And we're a part of that. It's everyone else's. If you want healing for your soul, and the more I look at this whole shall we call it debate, and I'm using the term very loosely because it's barely a debate at the moment. It's just shrill. But when I I look at the debate about sexuality that's going on at the moment, all I'm really hearing is a whole bunch of broken people, people who are sexually broken, identity broken. They are broken people, people who've been abused, people who've been neglected, People who are aching, people who are hurting, and they're crying out with an ache for something that they think will solve the ache, and it doesn't. It doesn't solve the ache. And as long as people stay in denial, they cannot be healed. You know, there's something about clenching your fist and shaking it at God that means He can't put anything in your hand. The truth of God's word is not always popular, but it's the only thing that can bring healing to your soul. More from Dr. Corbett next week. Podcasts and Finding Truth Matters resources, including tonight's program, How Soon We Forget, are available via the website, findingtruthmatters.org, or by contacting us at Lagana Media, PO Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania, 7277. For regular updates and special offers, please visit our Facebook page, facebook.com slash findingtruthmatters. Dr Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.